0: I recorded a podcast this morning at like 7 15 a.m i look i look like it's 7 15 a.m i gotta stop doing that <laughs> like i'll roll out of bed walk reba like put some water on my face and mouthwash not on my face but you know uh-huh and do these podcasts, I'm like looking at myself in the Zoom camera and I could just whatever. Anyways, I did this podcast this morning and the author actually talked about moving. He was he's moving to San Francisco. Um, I'm sure you drive around any major city right now and you know there's you'll probably see moving trucks everywhere. Um, I moved to San Francisco in 2011 playing a band. And I was working um you know for a financial company on the jersey side of the George Washington bridge. So people who haven't been there that's called Fort Lee. <laughs> yeah. So I moved here, played guitar, did the whole thing, whatever. Um when all this, you know, pandemic shit started happening, I, you know, I saw a lot of people moving, a lot of my clients moved. You know, I my dog walking business, Rough Paws. Um, so it's been a flip-floppy kind of world. So t- talking to this author, he said he was actually moving to San Francisco, but he was living you know somewhere else until something, whatever. Um, and I think moving is good because moving is part of change, right? And uh, changes so much of becoming a more whole person. Moving to San Francisco was the biggest change I could have made at that time in my life because I was like chubby. <laughs> I was just got out of, you know, was just like pretty much just cheated on. Uh, got out of an awful relationship. Um, working some job I fucking hated. And, you know, I, I made, at that time, you know, I just traveled to Europe for the first time. So I knew. I knew I could transport my body somewhere, come back and still be alive. So I'm like, get, get me the fuck out of here. And I'd driven around the country before too. And I was just like, I'm going to move to San Francisco. And I did it. Um, if I hadn't made that move, you know, I, I think about all the time, what would have happened if I had stayed in New Jersey? Uh, Uh, I (laughs) probably wouldn't have been good. Um, I would never tour in a band. I probably would have never written anything. Whatever, whatever. Oh. So it was reassuring to hear this guy talk about he was moving to San Francisco. Um, you know, I hope people, you know, look at change right now as as a positive thing, regardless of how much negativity, you know, covers it all. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about that and just let people know. A quick little thing about me Again I, I made a huge change in my life And it was the best change I could have made But uh Yeah Anyways <laughs> You're not here for that You're here for the next episode So I hope you enjoy it Follow us Instagram Writing Friction Twitter Friction Writing And just share Let me know what's up You got you know, I've been hearing from people Which has been Actually really cool Um I'm going to try to get some other different kind of guests on, Um, possibly not authors, but creatives, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, Who knows where that can lead? (laughs) So, yeah, until next time. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone, say hello to Helen Phillips. How are you, Helen? I am doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. I, um, I, I'm trying. To, I've been trying to peek the bookcase behind you. I'm trying to see if any. No, I can't get any spines. Anything worth mentioning on that bookshelf?
1: I'm actually um, camping out in my dad's office. Okay, so um,
0: not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So, though he has good taste, I, this, these are not my books. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Well, what, actually, no, I'll ask you this question then. What book are you reading right now?
1: What book am I reading right now? I'm reading A Burning by Megha Mujaddar. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's um, and I'm also reading Team Human by Douglas Rushkoff, which is a nonfiction book. Um, and I started reading a new book by Matthew Salis's which is a craft book about fiction and fiction workshops called Craft in the Real World. You, um, so I'm always I try to read like three books
0: at a time. I was going to say, do you do you typically read one fiction, one nonfiction at least kind of going along? I usually
1: have one fiction, one nonfiction, and then one book related to the book that I'm currently writing. So
0: yeah, most definitely. (laughs) weird. I'm the same way. I'm I'm working on a mafia book and I'm surrounded by mafia books, Um, but (laughs) it's a weird thing to be surrounded by. Uh, So we were talking before. um, You're normally in New York City, but now you're back in Colorado. Were you born and raised in Colorado?
1: I was born and raised in Colorado. Yes. And I am um, currently staying with my parents to get some grandparent help. With yeah. my kids, as we um, do our lives remotely. Yeah,
0: no, most definitely. Um, kind of near the Denver area, or
1: yeah, in the it, uh, it, to the west of Denver, yeah.
0: in the mountains. It. I've been touring in bands forever. I spent a lot of time in Col- a lot of time in Colorado, especially. It's a good music place. Yeah, and there's also a lot of authors coming out there now. I know people are kind of moving to Denver. Um, it seems to be kind of a fertile scene. Um, talking to some authors, you know, like Portland, San Francisco. There are cities around the country that I feel like writers kind of flock to. Um, but you left Colorado and then you went to New York, right?
1: I did, yes. I, um, and our stay here is, is only temporary, um, but yes, it's, it's been an interesting dynamic to be raised in the West and then to spend most of my adult life on the East Coast. Uh, and I feel lucky to have seen these two different parts of the country.
0: Yeah, well, I'm from Jersey originally, so I went the opposite.
1: Oh, so back. you've done the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: My family's from the Bronx and Queens and I grew up where they filmed The Sopranos. So I okay. went the other way and I went to uh, San Francisco. Um, so I really wanted to talk to you. It seems like you know, you're know you kind of, things are going pretty happening right now for you. Um, your newest book, right, The Need uh, was kind of picking up some steam. Well, how did we get to that book? Bring us to the beginning. When did you start writing? Were you always a writer? Were you always a reader? Um, did you kind of come at it later in life? What's your career path?
1: I, I feel like it's a little uninteresting. It's an answer that I think a lot of writers have, but for me, it was, um, as soon as I could use words to tell a story, I wanted to be a writer. So that was maybe at around six years of age. And I realized that I could evoke something on the page and make a reality appear just to this day in my life, nothing has ever been quite as exciting as that. So, mm-hmm. so if you had asked me when I was six years old, what I wanted to be, I would have said I wanted to be a writer. And the fact that that dream has come true is, um, it's really something that I marvel at every day.
0: Were you reading early on or did, before you thought about becoming a writer?
1: I don't think I read particularly early. I think I learned at the age that, you know, around kindergarten, first grade, um, but I always loved stories. And one thing I remember from being very young was begging my parents to read the same books again and again and again. And I, they were simple books, and I know that it drove them crazy. And my, I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, and my kids are the same way. The books they love, they want to hear them again and again and again. It's so interesting. So something else is going on there. Obviously, it's not just the plot the plot you learn on the first go so there's something else that's happening some other need that's being filled by the repetition maybe it's comforting but maybe also it's um the feeling of the language and the texture of the language and just going deep with that in a way so i'm i was a big fan of rereading as a child and as a parent and in my own life i always find it really interesting to reread books
0: are you well i mean since we're talking about a specific thing right now are you reading children's books per se are you getting inspiration from that i mean i got my tire changed a couple of weeks ago and in the waiting room was a couple of dr seuss books i haven't (laughs) picked up a dr seuss book in 25 years and i forget which one it was but i mean it blew my mind uh anything you're reading right now to your kids that are kind of maybe are you getting any inspiration from those kind of authors
1: well in the dr Seuss realm i I just read with my son, "Oh, the thinks you can think," which is really quite an incredible and yeah. wild journey um so that was I had that moment with I had a similar dr. Seuss moment recently um and because we're living in my childhood home, just for a little bit here, I am seeing the books that I read when I was young. So it's really fun to see my name written in my handwriting when I was seven years old. This is Helen's book. And then to explore that book with them. So I, there's a real continuity of that that, um, that
0: I love. Do you remember the first thing you wrote?
1: The first thing I wrote was a little book that is called Mark of the Snowflake Village. And I have to admit that I kind of probably borrowed some of the plot points from a book that I loved as a child. I don't even remember what book, but I remember feeling that little buzz of, okay, I'm kind of be- being very inspired by this book, maybe a little too inspired. <laughs> yeah, you did, yeah. um, but as my first attempt, but it was, um, it was a Christmas story about a little elf. And um, that was
0: my first work. So- so, going through grade school, going through high school, eventually into college, are, are you writing things continuously? Are you the kind of person who's like hanging out like I am right now at 33 by myself and writing? Or, you know, how did you kind of, how did you want to go take it to that next level?
1: So, when I was, um, it's kind of, there's kind of a personal answer to that. So, when I was 11 years old, I lost all of my hair due to the autoimmune condition alopecia. Mm-hmm. And during that time, that was, fairly destabilizing for me at that age and I um, felt quite self-conscious about it and writing was a place where I felt not self-conscious or it was a place where I could explore that experience and feel uncensored and try to find some kind of beauty in that at a time when I felt quite um quite freakish in, in my day-to-day life. Um, and when I was a couple years around that time, when I was 13 years old, I made a new year's resolution to write a poem, to read a poem every day and write a poem every day. So I really uh, was thinking, thought of myself, I was only 12, but I thought of myself more as a poet. And, and until I was 21, I wrote a poem every day,
0: every day,
1: every day, every day. I mean, they're terrible. I have, like, journals and journals, and some of them were haiku, and...
0: Okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: But I did, I did write some words every day, and, um, yes, it's just always been... It has, writing has helped me so much. You know, it's been a hand that I've held along, along my whole life.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously if you're writing every day, you're going to eventually start to get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Not to say at the end of the, when you were 21, you were, you know, a poet, but at what did, were, when you're at the end, were you germinating any ideas for long form fiction? Was it something you had wanted to dabble with? Were you writing short stories to begin with?
1: I, let me think, I I really, um, I really like some other fiction writers I know, I really was felt that I was a poet for a very long time, and I can't even remember, it was sometime in college that I started more to write fiction, I guess I wrote some before that, but I really conceived of myself as a poet, and as you ask that question, I don't even know what caused the transition to taking more of an interest in narrative form um yeah i'm sorry that i i don't actually know the answer to that transition no i mean Um, yeah it's
0: not it's not like there's one specific answer but i talked to some authors and um only because you mentioned haiku i talked to an author uh danny bland and he was writing a haiku every day for i don't know like same thing like 10 years. Um, But he had this idea kind of kicking around. He was like, eventually he's like, I've written enough of these fucking haikus. He's like, I can do something different. And he kind of put the paper to the pen and went with it. Um, But what, so then what was your first book?
1: My first book, actually, my first book is kind of connected to this question, I suppose. So my first, I wrote a couple of, I wrote three books that weren't that weren't very good. And then I threw all of them out. All and they, them? <laughs> they are in a deep drawer. They've never, they don't, they aren't even in a drawer. They're in some computer. I don't even have anymore. Um, and then I, and they were novels, but it was very hard with all of them and none of them quite came together. So I decided that rather than attempting to write a novel, I was going to try to do a very different kind of project. And I gave myself the challenge to write, one 340-word story every single day. Oh, wow. So at that point, I was now in my 20s.
0: Why, um, that, why, why that word count?
1: That word count was I did it for a few days and I realized that's the average that you can fit on one page if you're using Arial narrow font. So I really wanted each story to fit on one page. I had I had spent years of my life working on these novels that had kind of just not worked out. And so I wanted to do a project that would be really something I could really get my hands around. And there was just something about, okay, what can you do with one page? And I think that's an interesting question. You know, how far can you take someone in one page? What kind of worlds can you evoke? What kind of characters and scenarios can you evoke? So I did it. And I really, um, with my other books, I believe I had been thinking more about having them published someday. But when I was writing the micro stories, I wasn't even, I thought I need to get away from even thinking about publication. I think that's distracting. I just need, who would ever publish a book that was all these one page stories? That's not really a format that, that people publish. So I felt very liberated to just Experiment and the way I would write that because I was, I would usually in one morning I would write, you know, 800 or a thousand words really, really quickly, and then the next day I would get it down to 340. So, more than writing, it was actually an eras- erasure process. I would create the raw material and then delete from there until I had something much smaller. And so that process, and that is more like poetry. So in a way, I guess I do have an What do you, what do you mean that. by that? Because it was about making something, of course, poems can be long, oh, but okay. in general they're shorter than novels. So just working with a shorter amount of space, and really picking every word. So if each story was 340 words, this arbitrary but very helpful barrier I had given myself, each word had to really fight for its place. Whereas when you're writing a 500 page novel, you know I'm not sure every word is fighting for its place, but in 340 words, it really had to earn its place. So it forced me to be attentive to language and really think about, you know, okay, sometimes you need the adjective. So pick the adjective that you need. And, um, so it was a good, I feel like everything I've written since then has been informed by that process of creating a lot of raw material and then whittling it down. So the experience of writing for me is more like sculpting from a block that I've created than building something from the ground up.
0: Yeah. I'm going to butcher the quote and I forget who said it, but the idea of, you know, a sculpture starts as a giant block and it's taking the things away that, Get to work. So uh, what you're talking about in writing the 800 to thousand words, I, I I refer to that as word vomit. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just vomit, it, it, you know, leave the errors, leave the grant, all the mistakes, everything. And then the next day or whenever whittling it down to kind of, but what you're also talking about it, and maybe it, it, you, you might not think of it this way, but I the way I see it is you're also creating discipline.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to do this every day doesn't make a difference if I'm, you know, sick, tired, whatever, whatever you do it. And it's, you know, any kind of artistic endeavor, you have to have some form of discipline, especially writing because writing is such a solitary thing, you know, and to have that discipline to know that it's not always going to work or, you know. I don't have to get everything published. Um, things like that certainly help. Um, but when did you kind of, did you make a turn in your head? Like, okay, well now I've done this. Now I want to get a book published.
1: (laughs) So I, so that book, it, it, it did actually end up being published by a small, by a wonderful small press leapfrog press. So it found its way to publication despite that not being a central focus for me. Um, And that was a really wonderful experience to be with a small press for my first book. I loved it and it's such a hands-on experience. And my um, husband, who's a visual artist, helped design the cover. And so that was a really wonderful place to begin. Um, And then after that, I I did want to return to a longer narrative and think about what possibilities that had after evoking so many small narratives. And I actually then wrote um, a middle grade book because I wasn't yet ready to write a a book with a plot for adults. I, for some reason, entering the, something about writing for kids and having a sustained plot felt right to me at the time. Mm -hmm. It was the right form for me to experiment with a plot arc. I think honestly, because I still believe that I was the best reader I've ever been in terms of my ability to fall completely into a narrative when I was 10 to 12 years old. I think that's a really magic time as a reader. And so it was fun to, to write a book that was for that age group. And also at the same time to be thinking about how, after I had been so much in the mode of writing tiny narratives, okay, how do you expand it over an entire book? How do you have an arc? How do you develop characters? And it was very hard for me to figure out how to do that. Um, but I wrote an eco-adventure novel called Here Where the Sunbeams Are Green. Um, and then my next book, I, The Beautiful Bureaucrat, was my first novel for adults, and um, And in that, I really tried to combine the things I had learned from writing, and yet they were happy, the book of micro-stories, and the things I had learned from writing here where the sunbeams are green, where I had a long, sustained plot. So could I bring together a sustained, suspenseful plot and characters over time, along with um, an attentiveness to language and an interest in metaphor and imagery and... um, Uh, kind of almost philosophy so there is I feel like each book I write is a response to the books I've written before Mm -hmm. and is. I whenever I set out to write a book I always give myself some kind of challenge so for the first book and yet they were happy it was the 340 word thing for the next book it was writing for children and doing an extended plot and and so each one is born of a challenge
0: um, I just want to go back a little bit. And um, if there's some story, let us know. How did that first book get published? I mean, were you pursuing an agent? Were you kind of, how did, did you know someone? I mean, how did it get into the world?
1: So it, I actually at the time, because I had written the three prior novels that had not, you know, the kind of in the drawer novels, but my You
0: never stopped those novels, right? You just left them where they were?
1: I finished. I mean, they're all complete, but they aren't successful. But I did have an agent who, um, who I actually, she's, we share the same hometown of Denver. Nice. Um And I knew her from that. And she, um, had actually shopped one of those novels around unsuccessfully, and she also shopped around the collection of microfiction. And when she did send that to the big publishers, we got a lot of very nice rejection letters, but they were all sort of like, what genre is this? Because it even, they're these short stories, but they're, when the book was finally published and it was reviewed, I was so um, interested by the different terms reviewers used for it because some called it short stories, some called it microfiction, some called it prose poems, some called it... um, a novel in linked stories, some called it essays, some called it memoir. I mean, every different you genre. Gotta call that, it was something. Very, yeah. that was delightful to me because I, I just call it, I call it, I guess, an intergenre collection, but I don't really, I, it was trying to maybe be all of those things or be none of those things. But anyway, um, the big publishers were not interested in that kind of book, what it was. And so then I Um, just, I looked in poets and writers, which for anyone listening, who's interested in getting into it, I highly recommend getting a subscription to poets and writers that especially in the early years, but I still get it now. It was a real lifeline to me in terms of knowing what contests are out there and, and just what's going on and feeling part of a community. So I, in the back of that, they list contests and Leapfrog Press was having a publication prize. Oh, wow. And so I submitted the book to that on my own and I didn't actually win. I was a finalist, but the editor there, Lisa Graziano called me after I didn't win. And she said, you know, I've fallen in love with your book. And even though you weren't the final selection, we want to publish your book as well. Um, Amazing. So that was how my first
0: book came to be. Yeah. Sometimes it helps to not win. Sometimes it helps yeah. to be the final thing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, so I mean, again, cause your yeah. book wasn't your book. Well, your book was, uh, Oh, uh, well, let's, well, let's get there. So now you got three books out. You did the short story collection. You did your middle grade book
1: mm-hmm. and then you
0: did your first foray into long form fiction. What's mm-hmm. going on in your life at that time? Are you, do you have, are you traveling? You have children at that point? Are you, you're in school? Are you teaching? Are you doing? I
1: did. So I got my MFA at Brooklyn college, okay. um, which was a great way to, have a community of writers. I think that was the most, I think there's a lot of um, questions about how useful an MFA is. And certainly when you look back over history, it's not like Shakespeare got an MFA, you know, it's not um, requisite. But for me, having, being part of a community, I I wrote on my own for a year and I generated a lot of material, but it was a little, there are only so many times you can ask your partner and your sister to read your, your work. So it was great to build that community. Yeah. Um, and. That's all right.
0: <laughs> you can edit it, right? That's all, all good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Honey, I'm Podcasting doing... in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Um,
1: thanks. Thanks for your patience. Um, and, and then I was um, adjuncting at Brooklyn college and I was picking up some tutoring and just kind of fitting things together. And, and then I, after some time, I um, got a job teaching full time at Brooklyn College. Which, oh, okay, wow. Um, which is such an incredible place, and I felt, feel so fortunate to to have this job um, mm-hmm. teaching in such an incredible borough in such an incredible city. Um, and um, and what else was happening? The beautiful bureaucrat. I wrote the. I revised that when my daughter was around two years old. Mm-hmm. So I, I was having children at the time. And um, yeah, I actually finished up revisions for that book, final revisions for the beautiful bureaucrat when I was
0: a week before I gave birth to my son. Well, th- so that that, that'll, that leads me to ask this question. Before children came into your life, were you a like a schedule routine kind of writer? Were you writing the same time every day?
1: Mm-hmm. I, yes. And you're correct to surmise that that was how it was before I had children. And since having children, it's a little, um, more complicated, but Uh yes, I would. I, um, I mean, I was always working different things and I was in a college assistant doing administrative work for a while. Um, but I would always find a way I, I like it. My preferred schedule is to write first thing in the day if it's possible. Um, and so that was, I would write before going to work. Um, and I really
0: hewed too closely to a schedule. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that third book comes out. Now you got some kids, things are going a little crazy. Now you're teaching. Uh, what's the fourth book?
1: The fourth book was, came out a year after the third and it was, um, also published by Henry Holt. And it's a collection of short stories called Some Possible Solutions. So that book I had been working on for years, writing stories alongside the other um, book projects I was doing.
0: With the idea of it being a, a collection or are you just writing stories?
1: I was, I, I mean, I was just writing stories early on and then I began to conceive of it more as a collection. But certainly in terms of the things that I was interested in, it, I, I feel I, there's some writing cliche that every writer is just writing the same story over and over and I think there is some truth to that so they all of the stories involve some kind of what-if scenario that most of them involve some what-if scenario that puts you in some kind of alternate reality like what if you found out that your perfect match existed on a distant planet would you leave the life that you had to you have to go and join up with your perfect match and or what if there was an ATM machine that could tell you what day you were going to die and you could have that information. So they all, they, they hold together in terms of imagining these, what if scenarios
0: and, and playing them out. Might be better than some people's checking balance, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So then that leads us up to the newest book, which has this, the newest book been your, your highest level of success as an author. Um, you know, can you also, can you talk a little bit about the national book award process? We've heard some key authors talk about that and I've heard very different stories. Uh, maybe you can clue us in that, your experience with, with all of that. Um,
1: yeah, I would say that the need, um, yes, the need received the most critical attention and the most, um, and it was, lo- uh, long listed for the national book award. Um, so my experience with that was, I, I didn't even realize they were going to announce it. They announced it one day. I was shocked to be on the list. My, a friend texted me congratulations before I had even seen the news, um, which is sort of a butterflies in your stomach feeling. What are you congratulating me for? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But it was, you know, you write a book in such solitude and it's such a private thing. And for me, the need is... um It was, it was a scary book to write. It's about um, motherhood and it's about grief and it's about, it's, it's a dark book in some ways. I hope it, it's also a joyous book. I, and I hope that that comes across as well, but it's, it's a dark and complicated book. It was a dark and complicated and frightening book for me to write. So to write that in solitude and then bring it out to the world and have it get that kind of recognition, it's, it's really an incredible human
0: experience. So Mm -hmm. I, was, um, and, I, I mean, was Well, throughout the book. So you're also gaining confidence as a writer. I mean, you have to sit now, you know, it's like a band, you know, a band makes a record, they tour, they make a record, they tour. At some point you have seven records out and you can sit there and be like, holy shit. You know, I put out a lot of work. I mean, you're sitting on your fifth book. I mean, that, that's already a pretty amazing achievement. I mean, kind of looking back, I mean, what keeps you motivated to kind of keep going forward and keep wanting to become a better writer? I mean, are you working on something right now? Or are you always working on something?
1: I am, I'm I'm always working on something in some form. A lot of times in the early years of working on a book, it will take the form of just gathering little bits of it, like a newspaper headline that seems interesting or a, a snippet of dialogue I overheard, or I gather that for many years. So I'm always working on something Yeah. and I am working on a book now. And I guess what keeps me going is kind of tied into what I said to you before that each book is a response to the book I just wrote each book. I give myself a new and different kind of challenge um, and I would say the themes of my writing are whatever I'm anxious about at the time and so I I guess I don't think I'll ever run out of material because there's always some new anxiety that I'm that I You're
0: talking definitely- to a Jew from Jersey trust me. <laughs>
1: Um, the anxiety is, is always present. And I um, writing is a way to explore that and understand it. And I I can't imagine. I don't know. But at the same time, yes, it's amazing to be sitting on top of five books. But I always feel like a beginner. Mm -hmm. I think it's a Hemingway quote, we are all apprentices in a craft where no one is master. I think that's such an accurate writing quote. And it's it's not like when I sit down to write, I'm like, oh, I've, I've, I've written five books. I got this one. It's always a feeling of what am I doing? I don't know how to do this. I, I thought I maybe knew how to do this, but I actually still don't know how to do it. And as frustrating as that can be at times, that's what I love. I love the fact that I won't ever really know how to do it, that it always is something that feels like a barely possible endeavor to write a book.
0: Mm-hmm. I know you got a heart out, Helen. This has been absolute pleasure. Um, you're doing social media. What are you, can people get in touch with you? Where? Uh, let, let us know how, how, how do, how do we do it?
1: I, I am on Twitter infrequently, but I have an account and um, I have an author page on Facebook. I, um, yeah.
0: Are you on, are you on Instagram?
1: I'm not on Instagram. Okay. My husband is on Instagram. Um,
0: and he's shout a- out. He's a New Yorker cartoonist. Oh, Thomas, no. Here, um, I lived my old roommate for years. I mean, he must, well, I lived with him. He must've submitted 50 to hundred, maybe over a hundred cartoons to the New Yorker. And the month that he moved out of my apartment, he got two of them accepted.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, he would do yeah, that for well, uh, uh, we'll give a shout out to your, uh, husband's, uh, your partner's Instagram handle.
1: Right. Um, thank you. And yeah, so lovely of you to have me. Thank you so much for the oh, question. Yeah.
0: And uh, last question. Uh, where are people buying your books? What's your favorite bookstore?
1: Um, well, oh, that's such a hard question. I have so many allegiances. I love print in Portland, Maine. I like to buy my books from there. I love green light and Books Are Magic in Brooklyn and Community Bookstore in Brooklyn. And I'm excited that my friend Andy Hunter has started this new um, way to buy books online. Can uh, book you shop. talk
0: about that? What is that?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's a, an online book buying mechanism that also supports local bookstores. So it's a good alternative to other ways of buying books online.
0: Okay, great. Helen, thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Of course. So All good right. to, enjoy the, to enjoy you. the day later. later. Bye.